0: You have your Bibles. We've been studying the map, preaching the map, actually. That's uh, step number one, is getting out of Egypt. We're dealing with seven geographical areas around the promised land that informs our journey. And, and the Bible has several metaphors about uh, our relationship with God, the, the marriage relationship of Christ the bridegroom. Uh, We're the bride of Christ and and then this this metaphor of walking or a journey with God and the best illustration of that is the children of Israel and their journey from Egypt Egypt symbolic of the world symbolic of our sin and slavery to sin and then. God's designed to get them all the way to the promised land, to Canaan land, the land of their inheritance, the land of promise. But it's quite a journey to get there, and that's what we've been uh, studying the last few weeks. The first point on the map is Egypt. And there's a map, incidentally, in the hallway back there. And I hope over the course of this time together that you will uh, identify where am I on that map. And let's talk about it. Talk about it with another church uh fellow member, and, and maybe even your family. Egypt, God wants us out of Egypt. He wants us out of bondage, out of slavery. So he calls us out of Egypt. And then number two we talked about last week was the Red Sea. There's got to be a moment. We'll have two crisis moments in this series. The first one was last week. There is a moment when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and we cross over. That's the Red Sea. This week is point number three. We come to the Sinai Peninsula. We come to the desert. And you'll see it's quite a journey here. This is on the eastern shore of the Red Sea, where the Hebrew people make a startling discovery. They've come out of Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. And Canaan is not contiguous to Egypt. There's a space in between. Between Egypt and Canaan stretches one of the most desolate places of real estate on planet Earth. The Sinai Peninsula. God has led his people into a barren wasteland. Why? Why did God do this? Because there's some things you learn in the desert that you can't learn in Egypt and you can't learn in Canaan. So this morning, we're actually going to go to Desert University. The University of the Desert. For almost two years, God teaches His people the critical lessons of how To be a holy people. Why? I mean, they've, they've left Egypt. They've talked. They've experienced redemption. That's an accomplished fact now. They've had the blood of the Lamb applied. They've come through the waters. They've accomplished salvation. Isn't that the point? If you'll look in Exodus chapter 15, I'm not going to read all of it this morning, but that, this begins the section that we're on this morning. It's, it's the song of the deliverance. It's the song of the redeemed Moses and Miriam. They begin singing and let me just tell you, there's few spiritual disciplines that get you through deserts better than singing. <laughs> what we did this morning is wonderful in corporate worship, but But singing in those crazy places of your own desert experience, singing will help get you through. And if you look, I'm not going to read all of this, but if you'll look, they talk about through the first 12 verses there, what God has done in the past. What has God done? He has triumphed gloriously. What's He doing in the present? Verses 13 through 16, He is guiding our steps. Aren't you thankful for the leadership of of God Almighty? And then they sing about what he will do in the future. He will bring us home and reign forever. The point is, they're not home yet. The people are genuinely saved, but they're not home. In fact, their journey has only begun. It's designed, it'll take about two years to get there. Well, we got some other messages in the next few weeks where they actually spend 40 years getting there. 40 years or two years to get to Canaan, you've got to cross the desert. Seems like God's taken them out of the frying pan right into the fire. God was guiding them each step of the way by the pillar of fire. He doesn't lead them by the easy road, He doesn't lead them on the quick path. No, He leads them into a desert. What's some of the characteristics of a desert? It's dry. It's hot. (laughs) There's no water. There's no food. There's no raising canes right on the highway there. Nothing grows in the desert. In fact, there's snakes and scorpions and Amalekites. That's what's in the desert. There's silence in the desert. See, the desert is the land of in-between the gap that exists between God's promises and its fulfillment. Hear me this morning. The desert is the place between where I am and where God wants me to be. Are you with me? The desert is the in-between place between where God, where I am and where God wants me to be. Egypt. I'm out of Egypt, but I'm not yet home. I'm not yet to Canaan. So the wilderness, the desert, The place of the in-between. Why would God lead his people into a desert? If you have your Bibles, you can fast forward a little bit into the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we'll see an explanation of why they went to the desert. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Uh Uh-oh. That he might humble you. (laughs) Testing you to know what was in your heart. This is some insight as to why we go to the desert, testing you to see what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, did you, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord, your clothing did not wear out on you. Wow, we'll talk about that. Moms and Dad. you had to buy some new shoes for school this week. They went 40 years and their shoes didn't wear out. Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his own, the Lord your God disciplines you. God has led his people into the desert because they need an education. Again, some lessons we learn in the desert, we can't learn in Egypt, we can't learn in Canaan. They've got to be ready to face the giants ...that are currently camping out on their inheritance. So we're going to get a little fighting practice in the desert. (laughs) Going to take a few courses at the University of the Desert. See, the Desert is not a geographic anomaly. It's a spiritual necessity. All of God's saints have degrees from Desert U. Even Jesus went to Desert University... (laughs) You can read about it in Luke chapter 4. It says, the Spirit led me to a desert, to a wasteland. Jesus would use that scripture. I just, just talked to you. He, he would regurgitate that to the, to the devil tempting him. Most of the church today, contemporary evangelical church has no theology of the desert. We don't we don't like talking about the wasteland. We don't want to talk about this land of in-between. So this is helpful for us this morning to understand. Sinai discipleship, desert discipleship. See, what is discipleship? It's a reorientation. It's a change of mind of our feelings and thoughts. We got a lot of Egypt still in us. And so he's taken us to desert university to reorient us, to teach us. Perhaps some of you have been through the uh, leper colony that was down in St. James in Carville. Paul Brand served as a doctor there years ago and he was a great physician that gave uh, his life and service to others and he served also at the end of World War II. The story is told that Winston Churchill in, in the defense of London had to call up some all the planes that they had. There was a group of planes of the Royal Air Force they hadn't had them, had a, a defect in those planes and so they weren't going to use them, but it was crisis time and so the prime minister said throw those planes into, into service. And the pilots knew there was a defect. If they had to eject, they were going to get burned. It was just a the malfunction. Their, their faces would be scarred and, and hair singed and, and that's exactly what happened. And Paul was on the team that was after the fact helping them restructure and put back together these men that had served so faithfully and experienced tragedy. Some of them, as they put their uh, skin grafts and so forth, they took some of the hair of top of their head to put on, even try to make some eyebrows out of them. And as they would have a fly or something land there, they would slap the top of their head. The nerves in that particular part. And so... They had to reorient themselves to slap here when they felt, and they wanted to go. And through a course of time, they were able to do that. E. Stanley Jones tells the story of the wolf child. A wolf child, it was a child captured in India. He lived with wolves from the age of two to the age of eleven. This child ran on all fours. His knee joints were stiff and enlarged from running in this fashion. He would only eat raw meat. I mean, he'd go into the chicken coop and he'd just grab a, grab a live chicken and raise ready to start eating him. He's living with wolves. If you live with wolves, you act like wolves. He actually died from a disease and acting that way. That child's story is our story. You and I were created, we were last series. Imagine we created we were created in the image of God, but yet sin in this world and we, we pick up the the habits and characteristics and behavior of this world, and so God leads us to the desert to reorient us, to show us what Christ likeness is like, to put us to the test. Very few universities you go to that you don't have to have a test, right? Four things this morning God does to get the Israelites ready for the Promised Land. Number one, God offers himself as professor of desert studies. God offers himself as professor. Now, look, you don't have to go to the desert, and many people don't. It gets a little tough, and they go right back to Egypt. But can I tell you this morning, God does some of his most, God does some of his best transforming work in the desert. The desert fathers in the fourth century Christianity now had gone through The early growing pains and now it's fourth century and even Rome has now recognized Christianity as acceptable. And there were some of the faith fathers that said this is not so good because it's becoming status quo. And so they went, left the cities and they went to the desert. They went to live in caves. And they were known as the desert fathers. See, in their world, people were asking, how can I get more? But these desert fathers asked themselves, what can I do without? People in that world were saying, how can I find myself? <laughs> it sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> but the desert fathers were saying stuff like, how can I lose myself? In their world, people were saying, how can I win friends and influence people? But the desert fathers taught, the question really is, how can I love God? How can I grow in my faith? Why did the desert fathers choose to work out their spirituality in the desert? They sought God, first of all, and they knew that God was most easily found in a place without distractions. Whoa. Anybody else have to compete with distractions? Distractions. Second, the desert was a marvelous laboratory for dealing with the self, which was the other major spiritual project. How do you handle the ego and all its anxiousness and the constant need for support? You walk into the desert, which doesn't care one bit about who you are or what you bring to it. Think you're big stuff? Go walk in the desert. That kind of terrain offers a marvelous anecdote to the problem of the ego and the false self. God himself offers himself as the professor of desert studies. Number two, God makes it evident that he is their provider. Oh, there's some good stuff in these chapters. I'd encourage you to go home and read 15, 16, 17, 18 of Exodus. God's going to provide water, He's going to provide food. He's going to provide victory. There's five tests, and I wish I had time to go. There's a whole other series just on the five tests, but I'll just I'll just top touch on the the topics. There's no water. They've been going three days without water. We can't hardly function three minutes without water in this heat, right? You're in the desert three days without water. Millions of people walking across the desert. They come to the place of Marah. There's no, well, they find water, but it's bitter. God tells Moses, there's a tree. Throw a branch in and the waters become sweet. He said to this group of people, I am the Lord who heals you. No diseases. Think about all the potential for diseases. (laughs) We're out here. There's not a whole lot of water. Not a lot to eat. And God says to them at this first test in the desert, I am the Lord who heals you. Jehovah Rapha Chapter 16 talks about the desert of sin. A little short for Sinai there, but the people... Do y'all get grouchy when you get hungry? I get grouchy when I get hungry. I'm not the only one in my house. I'm not going to testify for anybody else. But I promise you, I'm not the only one that gets grouchy when we get hungry. They got hungry in the desert. They started grumbling. Oh, if we'd just go back to Egypt. Man, we sat around and we had some meat. We had some food. We had some water. It was pretty good in Egypt. I'm hungry. They start grumbling. And the Lord responds. He Himself provides. Just go out. And there was manna on the ground. It could go out every morning and they could pick it up on the sixth day, get double so you don't have to work on the Sabbath. There was enough sufficiency every day, every need supplied. You're hungry? I'll give you manna. Give us this day our daily bread. Another test. Chapter 17. It's a It's a retest on this water issue. (laughs) In a place called Rephidim. No water. And so God tells Moses, strike the rock. And guess what? Water comes out of the rock. Rephidim is also a place where the enemy attacked. The Amalekites were there. The desert is often a place of spiritual warfare. Again God provides the victory. As long as Moses would take his staff and hold it up. Can I borrow your staff? That's too good not to use this morning. Long as Moses would hold his arm up, would hold the staff up, guess what happened? The Israelites were they were they were annihilating the Amalekites. You stand there all day, you get tired, right? I gotta take a break. And the Malachites would start beating them. You know what Aaron and her did? This is what the solution was. They found a rock. It said, Moses, sit down. Where's the cup? Sammy, come help me. Malachi, come help me. You're gonna be Aaron, you're gonna be her. <laughs> H-U-R. He got tired. Even sitting on the rock, you sit here all day, you get tired, right? Can can you hold my arm up right there? Come on this side. I can sit here a long time when those boys are helping me. (laughs) Desert University. God providing the victory. Aaron and Hur standing on both sides of Moses. And they kicked the enemy's tail. God provided the victory. Give them a hand this morning. Aaron and her. Spiritual warfare. You don't necessarily need to do it by yourself. Get some prayer warriors. Every once in a while, I can't go anywhere. And then Crystal and Tori will be standing on both sides of me. Figuratively, some, some at least spiritually, and oftentimes literally, holding my arms up in prayer intercession and God can win the victory there's another test Moses' father-in-law shows up this is probably just for the pastor this morning the last test there in chapter 18 Moses' father-in-law Jethro comes to visit him and Moses is getting up in the morning and he's 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 judging all the people and there's a long line to see him and so Jethro says, Moses, what you're doing is not good. And Moses, in his leadership, begins to delegate. I need to learn some more from Jethro and Moses. There's some things you learn in the desert that you don't learn in Egypt and you don't learn in Canaan. When they were holding his arms up, that was, they called that place, The Lord is my banner or Yahweh Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. I don't know if you need Rafa this morning, you need healing or you need victory. But God is here to be your provider and my provider this morning. See, God never tempts his children, but he does test them. Why? Why does the teacher give tests to her students? Is it because they're cruel I want to know, what does the student know? <laughs> and so God sends us to Desert University. We should get t-shirts, right? Huh? We have Snooze t-shirts next week. You come, you might get a free Snooze t-shirt. We've got a few to give away. Desert U. You guys have been in prison. Their mentor was talking and said, guys, when you get out of here, you have to make an all-important choice. Let the old world provide the way forward or let God. And that goes in the areas of job. That goes in the choice of your women, your addictions, your friends. And they said, look, I'd rather be in the desert than go back to the captivity of my past. There's some things in the desert that God wants to teach us. Number three, God offers covenant relationship And re-educating rules. Covenant relationship and re-educating rules. There's over 600 rules in the Old Testament. There's over 1,100 commands in the New Testament. Jesus said, let me boil it down to you. Love God. Love your neighbor. This is what that means. Love God and love your neighbor. Of the Ten Commandments, four of them deal with our relationship. It's a vertical relationship with God. Six of them deal with our relationship with each other. Hal Perkins, one of my mentors, talks about vertizontal, right? I mean, go vertical with our relationship with God, and it does impact. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God has this covenant relationship that He wants in our life. How many have been in the military before? You know, a couple of veterans. <laughs> All right. Boot camp. Do you have to go through boot camp? I don't know anybody just jumping to go to boot camp. What happens when you get... I mean, you aren't there as soon as you get off the bus. In fact, they might be yelling at you while you're on the bus. But within just a few moments... You can have 200 new recruits, and they're all doing the same thing. Right? Because there's an old nasty drill sergeant somewhere with a booming voice, and so everybody, whoa! And they move in formation. What is that? That's a reorientation. That's a new set of rules. God takes us to the desert and he moves into this covenant relationship with us. And he offers a new set of rules that will make us more like Jesus. Finally, number four, God gives them his special presence. There's a tabernacle, not a temple yet, a tabernacle, a, a one that can be moved. It's built so that Israel might know and recognize his special presence in their midst. And this is, this is seen through the last few chapters of Exodus 25 through 40. And I want to just read you two verses out of Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. If you're in number three, if you're in the Sinai Peninsula, if you're enrolled in Desert University, I have to remind you this morning that God is there with you, giving you His special presence. It was a theology class Dr. Trana would ask his students to look for the structural laws in a book. And they were studying the book of Exodus. And they would come to class and there's 12 structural laws. And, and so they would, the students would get an opportunity. He'd go through them and say, oh, I got that one or I missed that one. And so he just read through that last chapter of Exodus. And he said, what's the structural laws? And they tried and so He said, you're missing one. You're missing one. You're missing one. And there was an old boy named Tim on the front row. Had a little bit of a, a physical deficiency. And the professor wouldn't give up. You don't see it. You don't see it. You don't see it. And so Tim here on the front row, he said, finally he said, just that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And he's trying to get an answer to get the... And the old professor said, just... Almost spit in his face like I'm almost doing to you right now. You glad I'm not over here, huh? Just, do you know what you just said? The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Don't ever lose the impact that it is God Almighty. Where does it, well, who is the temple? Know you not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? The glory of the Lord. So if you're in Desert University, I remind you this morning, the glory of the God Almighty is with you. With Nicole Hudgens, she does something similar that I do in Baton Rouge and in Austin, Texas. And she's told the story this week. She was maybe 19 or 20, I don't remember exactly, and she was running in a marathon, a 26-mile marathon. I get up and I'm trying to run several days a week, trying to run two miles, not 26. I'm impressed, 26 miles. And apparently when you're running marathons like that, there's a moment where you hit a wall. Maybe it's supposed to be around 20 or later, but she hit a wall at mile 13. She just hardly could go on. And function. Along the path of the marathon. There's a few people scattered. They're holding up signs. Cheering you on. And so forth. And, and she battled through. And I think it was around mile 20. When she, she saw not a stranger. But her dad. And not only was her dad waving on the side. But he, he got in. And he started running with her. It made all the difference in the world. It was just like a whole nother level because her dad was running with her. If you're in Desert University, God Almighty has come to run alongside you and cheer you on and get past that wall and teach you things. But it is His presence that goes with you. And things we learn in the desert we can't learn in Egypt and we can't learn in Canaan. A lot of these desert experiences are frightening and even painful. But they're precisely where God wants us to be. You didn't take a wrong turn. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord led Jesus to a desert. He brought them through the Red Sea and He took them right into a barren wasteland. Because He wanted to test them. He wanted to see what the faithfulness would be. (laughs) See, Desert University is actually a good place to be. We got out of Egypt, but still there's a little bit of Egypt that needs to come out of us, right? And Desert University will show us what that is and then help us be victorious. We're going to have communion in just a moment. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to have a word of prayer before we share communion. I know God has spoken through. I've sensed his presence as I've shared this word. And if you just, if you just, just going to open the altars, I don't know, have a specific request, but if you want God to just do a special, special thing in your heart this morning before we come to his table, I'm going to invite you just to come and I'll pray a prayer of dedication and consecration. And let's prepare our hearts for the daily bread of communion with him this morning. just open our hearts to him this morning. Lord Jesus, we bless you this morning. Thank you for the barren wasteland. Thank you for teaching us. God, I in my own life this week, I, I it's like you gave me my own little laboratory this week of of desert university. But but you're the Lord who heals. You're the Lord who provides. God, I, I, Carmen and I talked last night. We felt people praying for us. God, it's, we could feel the Aaron and hers in our life holding our arms up in prayer. And God, I give you praise for that. I give you glory that you are filling this tabernacle. You are filling this tenth of meeting this morning. Your presence is here. And your presence goes with us, God. Lord, encourage every heart, Lord. God, give us courage to battle through the barren wastelands of our lives, oh God. Let us let us put our faith and our confidence in You. And God, I pray for a carefulness in our life. Just as Moses did some unusual things, but he was listening carefully to Your voice. Oh God, this morning, help every one of us to carefully follow You, to hear Your voice, to spend time with You, and then follow through, oh God. Oh, God, I thank you, Lord, for taking us through the barren wasteland. Thank you for the desert today, God. Oh, God, give us sustaining grace as we learn, as we learn from you. God, I pray that you bless these elements. And as we come in faith together, come in faith believing, and we do this in remembrance of you, it's a remembrance of your coming again as well. Lord, last week we talked about redemption. We talked about the blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, this morning we, we praise You for the Lamb. We behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I just have to remind you this morning, the good news of the gospel, the message last week is that Jesus Christ came to take our place. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So we do that. We admit our sin to him. We believe on the Lord Jesus. We confess with our mouth and believe that God has raised him from the dead. He says, if you'll do that, you shall be saved. That's just the beginning. (laughs) That's just the beginning. Then the journey begins. So we're going to invite you to his table this morning. This feast is for his disciples. It's open communion. You don't have to participate, but we're going to invite you to make two lines. Come and be served. If you need to be served, just raise your hand and we'll bring it to you. Tori, come and help me this morning if you don't mind. After you've been served, the elements, if you go back to your seats, after everyone's been served, then we'll eat and drink together. Welcome to come to his table this morning. Holy, sacred moment. Tell him how much you love him. Thank you for his sacrifice, taking my place, taking your place on the cross. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for Jesus today. Thank you for your presence that is with us. Oh, how beautiful. How good. Thank you, Lord. The night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples he said take and eat this remembrance of me let's take the bread and eat together this morning Take the cup, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And be thankful. Let's drink together. Amen. Let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God bless you. Shake hands with your neighbor and go in his peace. Hope you pass your test this week.